Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. fast because I thought I had 35 minutes (laughs) and I wrote it because I'm 72 and I don't want to forget it's too important (laughs) so let's pray Lord this is your story it is a love story may it bring you glory may it strengthen the faith of those who hear it Lord I thank you so much for my life And I especially thank you that you chose me to live in a time and a place as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Pastor Thomas said many times, you can never forget what you have seen or experienced. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. God puts in us everything we need to be victorious. This is what God has done for me. I was born into a loving home. Dad was a naval pilot and mom a nurse. They were Scandinavian Lutherans. We were in church and Sunday school every Sunday. The Lutheran church is liturgical, so that means every spoken word in church comes from the word except for the sermon or in intercession prayers. So the Lord was already laying a foundation. My younger sister and I had many wonderful family memories and adventures. At six, I had my first lesson in faith. I was in my room doing my homework, and I couldn't find my pencil. So childlike faith, I thought, okay, pray. I know God sees everything, and he knows exactly where it is. So that's what I did, and I saw in my mind's eye the drawer that that pencil was in. That really fired up my faith, and I did that a lot as a child, and God always answered At 13, I was confirmed in a small Lutheran church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I was ready to confirm the beliefs my parents had stated at my infant baptism. God was preparing me because my scripture was from 1 Peter 4.1. So then, since Christ suffered for you in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. And I'm going to tell you, I did ponder that Bible verse and why I got it. At 16, I had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. We had just moved to Fairfax, Virginia. Dad was coming in a week from San Juan. I was watering the flowers in the front yard when I was stung by a wasp. I was experiencing a severe allergic reaction. By the time I got in the house, I couldn't breathe, and I fell to the floor. 
The struggle to breathe lasted a split second before I became unconscious. My sister ran next door to call for an ambulance because our phone wasn't in yet. I had no pulse, no respiration. I could see my body laying on the floor and my mom crying and trying to give me CPR. I kept speaking to her, telling her that I was okay and talking to my sister and saying, you know, I'm fine, you know, I'm fine. Just don't, you know, stop. You don't have to keep doing that. I'm fine. It was like watching a movie because I was above them and I realized they couldn't hear me. So I'm thinking, okay, this is what it's like to be dead. I mean, I had complete peace. It wasn't a struggle. As soon as those words were in my spirit, I was propelled through a tunnel at a powerful force towards the most beautiful, bright light. As I got to the light, I could see a man standing in that all-consuming, radiant fire. And I knew in my spirit I was in the presence of Jesus. I was wrapped in the most powerful love. There was no condemnation, only love. I never wanted to leave. And then he spoke, not yet. I was immediately propelled back through the tunnel, screaming, no, back into my body in the ER. <laughs> and I did scream, no. Everything hurt as I was brought back to life. I treasured this in my heart, and I wondered why. But I didn't share this experience for many years until I attended a lecture for a psychology class in graduate school at UVA. Raymond Moody was giving a lecture on life after life from research on 100 experiences like mine. I had no fear of death whatsoever. I had experienced it along with many others. My last year in high school began my rebellion. I had worked really hard for a high GPA to get into college. It was the late 60s outside of DC. Everything was being challenged. Civil rights, the hippie movement, rock bands, all of our values. I went to East Carolina for the next four years participating in civil rights marches, uh, Vietnam peace vigils, drinking pot, everything that we called freedom. We went from a dress code my first year there of football game. We had to wear white gloves, a suit, and heels. In one year, it changed to co-ed dorms. I wanted to be a teacher. However, I was a hippie. <laughs> so when I went to my college advisor, he took one look at me with my bell-bottom jeans and my long hair and said, you will never be a teacher. Well, those were the words I needed to hear because I got straight A's and soon started working for him teaching remediation to students. Um, let's see here. Oh, we were all seeking the truth. I pursued philosophies, Buddhism, Hinduism, 
The whole time, though, God was romancing me. He never leaves you. And I would find myself at night in a small Episcopal church in the dark playing the organ and singing hymns. It was back in the day when they didn't lock church buildings, so it was real easy to go in there. And I always felt such peace. I married my surfer boyfriend. Neither one of us were following Jesus, so it was no surprise after two years of marriage that I found him cheating on me with a young art student. What happened next to, to me was very terrifying. In a split second, I looked for something on the fireplace mantle to hit him in the head and kill him. And I mean, I, I really was going to do it. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, because there was nothing there, but in God's goodness and mercy, he saved me from that. I knew then, in my flesh, I was capable of anything. And I remembered how many times in the teacher's lounge our conversation was, oh, I can't believe somebody would do that. Well, I knew you could do anything in the flesh. We divorced a year later. After pursuing many paths to find the truth, I realized everything I had been seeking was there the whole time. I am the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus was the great I am. I took a teaching job in Charlottesville, Virginia, leaving North Carolina, and my steps were being ordered by the Lord. While walking on the sidewalk one day, I walked into my youngest brother of my high school friend. He was at UVA taking classes. Brian called his brother Steve, and it wasn't long before we were dating. Steve loved the Lord. Our families had attended the same Lutheran church in Fairfax. We were married a year later, and Steve built our home in Leesburg. We loved the Lord, each other, and we laughed a lot. I loved praying together and sharing our life. We had two beautiful daughters, Joy and Shelley. He would prop Joy up on the couch as a baby, play his guitar, and sing to her. He called her Joy to the World, and she was his joy. Soon after Shelley was born, Steve began having reoccurring fevers. The diagnosis was cancer. He had a large mass in his chest around the vena cava. Chemo would only prolong his life, but he would not have quality of life. That is the doctor's report. I then knew why Jesus had given me a glimpse of death into life, and I had shared it with Steve. After seeking the Lord, the Lord woke him up. Steve, pay attention. Do what it says in the beginning, and the rest will be yours. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. We would trust God. I believed with my whole heart Jesus would heal him. He began a special diet. I took cooking classes to prepare the foods. He was monitored by a Christian doctor. Steve's family disagreed with his decision. It wasn't easy with a six-month nursing baby 
and a toddler close to three. I had little sleep, and it was hard to explain to daddy's little girl what was going on. I thought many times about the confirmation scripture that I had been given. Steve continued to work and take joy for walks in the woods. I knew why I had that life after death experience, because Jesus loves us so much. He gave me everything I needed, and I trusted him. One year later, on New Year's Eve, Steve came home for lunch. He wanted it to snow, but none was forecast, because he wanted to take Joyce sledding. Suddenly, he stood up saying, I can't breathe. The same experience I had at 16. He started to walk outside while I called for an ambulance. We went outside on the porch where he had laid down unconscious. I spoke the 23rd Psalm over him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I knew he was in the presence of Jesus. It started snowing, and it didn't stop until New Year's Day. We got 18 inches. The Lord had answered Steve's prayer. He was never hospitalized, and he was able to continue to work. I make all things new. It was a new year and a new life. After the memorial service, we went to Steve's parents' home. Steve's oldest brother, John, was outside. He started tapping on the window and motioning for me to come outside. He took my hand, walked me halfway down to the lake. We had been married there, and Shelley had been baptized there seven years ago. He stops, and he says, right here. All of a sudden, the sun dropped below the cloud, illuminating the whole sky, a power, which I guess it was the Holy Spirit, a power shot through the earth, through me, and up. And at that moment, I felt it was almost like I was in every leaf, every tree, every blade of grass, every cloud. I was just one with the whole universe. And I heard the most incredible music, instruments I've never heard on earth. I just know that that had to be angelic. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was the Lord and that he was loving me enough to let me know his goodness. I always believed and trusted that Steve would be healed but I also knew that the Lord was sovereign. It was easy for me to trust the Lord because I had a trustworthy dad. So that made it a lot easier for me to trust in that. That spring, Joyce Shelley and I left for six months on the Outer Banks. Steve had rented a house in Avon and I decided to go. We needed to heal as a family. The Lord surrounded us in his love through his beautiful creation there and his people. The Lord was strengthening me for battle when we returned in the fall. 
while gone, Steve's family, in their grief and anger, decided to blame our Christian doctor for his death. Back in Leesburg, we spent weeks in court while they were charging the doctor with malpractice. There were reporters. It ran in the Washington Post. It was the cover story in a local magazine. I was 32, and I had never experienced such evil lies and hatred. You know how Pastor Tom always says to take your position? I took my position, and the Lord gave me peace. I never took the bait, which was a miracle, <laughs> that I didn't take the bait and all that. But the Lord gave me peace and strength through it all. There were so many betrayals. Steve's family used their money and power to take away the doctor's medical license. He lost his practice, his family home, and his livelihood. But God's truth always wins. A year later, the Lord restored it all. The doctor had moved to Charlotte. We went before the North Carolina Board of Medicine. The chairman turned around in the, the chair in front of me. I didn't even know he was the chairman of the board. And he said, let me tell you, we know the Lord in North Carolina. And he said, and we, this is not Virginia. <laughs> and that was all I needed to hear. That was so awesome. And the whole time I felt so responsible. And Dr. Roberts kept saying, you know, please, you know, the Lord is providing for us. Don't worry about it. And um, his whole family is in ministry. So the Lord really did redeem everything. I remember one day crying on the floor out to God because I so miss Steve and his family. When the, I just started crying, I said, when, Lord, when is this going to end? And I distinctly heard the Lord say, when you stop being a doormat. <laughs> he wanted me to know my identity and authority. <laughs> We moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, and my parents retired here, and a year later, I married again. John adopted Joy and Shelley. Steve's family refused all communication, so I had to let it go and let God. I began teaching at the Montessori School, but God had a plan. We were to take time off to visit schools as professional development. I looked at Lucy, another teacher, and these words literally popped out of my mouth before I even thought about them. I said to her, I want you to go with me to Virginia Beach to a Montessori school. And she said, I can't do that. I don't have anyone to take care of my kids. I said, I'll get you a babysitter. And we went. We found a book there in the library entitled The Child and the Church by Maria Montessori. I had a dream of a Christian Montessori school in Wilmington, but I was thinking like a couple of years. When we got back, she resigned, and I got fired. So <laughs> that fall, we opened up the children's schoolhouse at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church, and it's been there for 37 years. My, this year, my daughter Joy will be teaching there with Miss Lucy, who she had as a teacher. <laughs> The Lord had provided everything we needed miraculously because we had no money, but we had everything provided. 
I was pregnant with John Corey, and as I was walking out to our mailbox one day, I looked up at the sky, and I heard the Lord say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I was so excited because that was back in the day when you didn't know the sex of the baby before it was born. So I said, oh, Lord, it's a boy. Little did I know that he was giving me a word for the future. Um. Michael was born two years later after John Corey. Our marriage was in trouble. I didn't realize when I married John that he was an alcoholic because he did not drink every day. He would go for weeks without drinking, and then he would binge drink, and he would get very violent, breaking things, kicking things, um, etc. And after two DUIs and arrests, I knew it was no longer safe for my children, so I asked him to move out, and I hoped he would get help. I waited five years, but he never um, got help for the alcoholism. I had to totally trust God for provision because child support was pretty much non-existent, and I started going to court, but then that just ended up that you spent your money and nothing got resolved. So... um, I had no control also over the visitations, which was very scary to me as a mom. I finally had to let go and trust God or you would just be crazy. So, I mean, God just, he loves us so much. He protected them the whole time. I mean, there were instances, but they were still under his protection. I just had to be anxious for nothing, and God was faithful. Jesus became my husband. He was with me on my hammock, on my porch, or on the pier. We had nightly chats. After four years, one night working on a paper for graduate school, the Lord said, write a letter to Steve's mother. And I thought, yeah, yeah, later, later. And I kept working on my paper, and he was persistent, like, write the letter. So I stopped working on my paper, I wrote a letter, and I basically just said I didn't believe that Steve would want this for his family, and that I knew that it was very difficult for all of us, and we had done the best that we could do in the circumstances. And the Lord did a miracle, because I got a letter back supernaturally, and I mean, it was like I mailed mine, and two days later, I had a letter back from her. Um, She said that Steve's dad was very ill, so that weekend we left, and we went to see see them. So the Lord redeemed our family through forgiveness. I divorced, remarried again to a man professing to be Christian. In six months, I knew it was a mistake. I really didn't listen to God at the beginning because I had a strong feeling one day, like I wanted to run, and I just kept thinking to myself, oh, that's just because you're scared to, you know, get married again, and, um, but no, it was the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't listening. I attended Via de Cristo, and I felt the Holy Spirit power at a Joyce Meyer conference I felt the baptism of fire, and I began speaking in tongues. I so wanted this marriage to be of the Lord. I tried for 10 years. When we were dating one day, 
well, I already said that about the fears that I had about um, it not being of the Lord. My daughter, Shelly, began going to the Pentecostal church, bringing the boys with her. I decided to make sure it wasn't a cult. <laughs> I had no clue. I so felt the presence of the Holy Spirit there. The Lord was bringing me into a body of intercessors, and I never went back to my church after that. I was just in love with that church. Shelley became the youngest ordained pastor in the Pentecostal church at 22 after attending Emmanuel College. She was my shyest child and experienced miracle after miracle as the Lord paid for private college. When she said she wanted to go to Emmanuel, I said, you can't. You have to go to a state school. I can't afford that. And she said, God will provide. Well, he did. <laughs> and so she went. And then she went to uh, Israel when it was getting bombed. And I said, I don't believe President Bush is allowing anybody out of the country. She said, well, that's up to the Lord. The whole time that they were there, there weren't any bombings. The day they got back, it started up again. She had an internship in Africa and trips all over the United States. Joy and I went to pick her up after graduation. The Lord knew her beginning and her end. It was Mother's Day weekend, and he put it in my heart as we were coming back to find a hotel on the way home and have a girl's weekend. We laughed a lot. Shelley shared prophetic words with us. That Thursday, she was killed in a car accident. The Lord had completely transformed her life from the shy little girl to an evangelist and prophet speaking to thousands in Africa. Something in me changed. During worship, I had to go all out for what he did through her, and I was never the same after that. She used to tell me that God had told her that all my children would be saved, but she thought joy would be last. Sorry, joy. <laughs> but the Lord blessed her that she was able to bring joy to Jesus and that joy was the first. Six months later, the boy's dad died overdosing on drugs and alcohol. Bill, my husband, made a sarcastic comment after the boys had gone to Raleigh to get his things. I asked him to help unload the car because I'd hurt my back. Why? That was all my 16-year-old Michael needed to hear before he punched Bill. Bill called the police to charge him with assault and battery. I called my pastor. He said, pack your suitcases. I'm coming to pick you up. God redeemed it all. The charge was forever erased. The attorney didn't charge anything. Our house sold in one week for the full price. My name had just been put on the deed after my pastor confronted Bill. God restored and redeemed everything. You've heard John Corey's testimony. I learned in the Pentecostal church to declare the word of the Lord. I trusted the Lord and kept declaring, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased.
I continued to believe the word of the Lord. I refused to believe any other outcome, regardless of several times in prison. I never missed a day of work. The Lord gave me perfect peace, even when I got the nighttime calls that he had been arrested. I went right back to sleep and got up in the morning and went to to work with joy in my heart. I even told the gang leader when he called to find John Corey, the only one who needs to know is Jesus. He replied, yes, ma'am. Every knee has to bow at that great name. I am believing that prophetic word, a humble servant of God, a fatherly anointing, a prophet to the nations that Shelley spoke over him many years ago, just like I am believing and declaring, joy is a witness to the joy of the Lord. Josh is like the Joshua of old who has no fear to obey the Lord God Almighty. Michael means who is like the Lord, the great defender of the faith. My two beautiful grandchildren, Ryland, a champion of God, a boy of integrity, honor, and character. Hadley is the handmaiden of the Lord, pure and holy. Shelley shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. I can never forget what I have seen and experienced the indescribable love of Jesus for me. I am the daughter of a king who is not moved by the world, for my God is with me and goes before me. I do not fear because I am his. A Christian woman is a warrior, determined, perseveres, and fights back with the word. What was meant for evil, our Jesus turns it for good. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. And Isaiah 48. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Jesus, that you so loved me, that you were there for me the whole time. He stood in the fire with me. Amen. Thank you. That was so good. Come here, Karen. You know what I love about the fact that you wrote your testimony down? My mama and I shared our testimony here recently with her small group about the restoration of our relationship. And the only way that it got restored was just us seeking Jesus individually. Um, and she wrote hers down too. And I, I love that. It's, <laughs> it's so beautiful. No, but I wanted to know if you would pray a prayer over everybody who's listening. Um, your story, the word of God, the word of God, declarations, 
believing his promises, trust. Like that's the theme of your entire testimony is the word of God, believing it, trusting in it, and declaring that even in the midst of our wrong choices, even in the midst of our mess. Um, and so I just want to invite, if, if you feel that, I would love for you to pray just an anointing of that to be released for all that have ears to hear, the trust to grab hold of his word, the declarations, and what the fact that that manifests those promises, declaring that manifests those promises. Does that make sense? No? Okay, well then, all right, so just be in agreement with me. So, Holy Spirit, so we just thank you, Lord, for the testimony of trust, the testimony of faith, the testimony of God's word, the testimony, Lord, of declaring, declaring your word, your truth, so that it actually manifests those promises. So I just thank you that you're releasing that over every ear that's listening, Lord, every ear, Lord, every child, every brother, every sister, every sour relationship that has not yet been redeemed, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for the faith and the belief and the hope that you're being restored into people that are listening to be able to declare, declare and decree your word, your promises over those. That your word never returns void, Lord. That you never leave us or forsake us. That you are with us forever. I thank you, Lord, even when we make the wrong choices. I thank you for that, Lord, that you never gave up on me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's so good. Thank you, Lord. Hi, Miss Phyllis. How are you doing? Hi. He's so good. The floor is yours. Open however you want. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for asking me. Sort of feels like coffee time. (laughs) I feel like Mr. Rogers. I mean, it's interesting sitting up here. (laughs) And that's a good thing. I do want to thank Alicia for asking me to do this. Um, This is something that I've never done. I've shared some testimony a little bit here and there, uh, mostly one-on-one, which is good. Um, Let me just pray. Father, I do thank you for your goodness. I thank you for all that you've done for me, God. I can't even imagine how good you've really been to me. I thank you for your grace, for your mercy. And I ask you, Lord, that this night, that whatever you have for me to say about my life, my story, that it will bless someone, it will touch a heart, it will encourage someone to not give up, 
to press into you even the more, to believe you in a greater way. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Um, as you all know, I'm a judge. So I have a public life. I don't have a private life. I have a public life. And if, before I start, Karen, that was a beautiful testimony. And it's wonderful that you wrote it. And I wish I had written it mine. <laughs> but I'm a little scatterbrained these days, so I couldn't sit to write. But um, being a public figure, public life, um, brings a lot of challenges. So there are a lot of things that I could talk about that I can't because I'm public and I'm not letting everything in my life go public. So some things I won't be mentioning since we are live streaming and everything else. But I'll first, by, first start by telling you about just a little bit about growing up. And I'll start by reading Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, go out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. God gave me that scripture after I got saved. I grew up in a little town, Fountain, near Greenville. I'm the youngest of 12 children. Grew up on a farm. My father was a sharecropper. We raised tobacco and corn and that sort of thing. Um, my parents were saved when I was born. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but when I was born, they had committed their lives to Christ. And so that's all I knew. My father was a pastor, and back then you would call him an itinerant pastor because he pastored four churches by the time he died. He died at the age of 58 of a massive heart attack when I was 13, which changed my life dramatically. Um, I grew up in a Baptist church, which is called a free will Baptist church, where, and I, and I think the intent was, if you wanted to give your life to Christ, then you would, quote, join the church. And, and I think that people were saved, um, and they would join the church, and they would be given the right hand of fellowship which meant other members of the church would come by as you stood or sat in the front of the church, and they would shake your hand and welcome you. So, and I knew what being saved was all about because I lived in a Christian home, and my father preached about salvation, so I knew what it was all about. But I never accepted Christ as a child. I'm not one of those people who say, well, I went to church, therefore I'm saved. I never believed that because I was never taught that. I was taught that you have to give your life to Christ and live for him, and that's salvation. And I never did it. 
I mean, I wanted to join the church because I wanted to sing in the choir. And, and as children, they let you do that because they didn't believe children could get saved. So, so, so they, they let you join the church. So I joined the church, and I sang in the choir, and I got baptized. So you had to do all of that in order to participate in church activities. So I did all of that, and I liked church. I always liked it. I always liked going to church. I never got saved. I never was interested. Knew who was just pretending and who was real because I watched people. That's just the way I was. I watched people. I discerned people. I had discernment. Didn't know what it was, but I had discernment. So I knew when people were lying and all kinds of things. And my mother would have to tamp me down because I shouldn't be saying things about grown people. So, so if, I, if I said somebody was lying and I called my cousin a liar one time and he was a grown man and he was a pastor and my mother said, you can't tell a pastor he's lying. I said, but he's lying, you know? So, you know, so I didn't know anything about gifts or anything like that. I just knew what I knew. And uh, so I went on about my business being unsaved and sinning and doing whatever else you do. Um, and did not, well, still go to church, but did not encounter the Lord until I moved to Wilmington. And when I moved here, I went through a situation where I saw demons. And I knew that what I was seeing where I was, that these things were demons. And I talked to Addie and Antoinette about it, and they say, yeah, that's what you see. <laughs> and, so, and so I began going to church with Antoinette because Antoinette worked in the district attorney's office with me here in Wilmington. And going to church with her, and I remember getting invited, and I remember coming back to Durham, which was where I came from, to take a job here, to visit my sister. And a friend of hers was at the house. She was saved. She was like raising money to go on a trip to Africa, a ministry trip. So when she got ready to leave, she said, let me just pray for everyone. And she prayed. We got in a circle, and she prayed. And then when she, she turned to me, and she began to, it was prophesying, which I didn't know what that was, but she was prophesying my life to me in that prayer. And I knew at that moment that God was real. And I committed my life to him at that very moment. My heart I gave to Jesus. I didn't pray a prayer that night, but you know when you have given your life to Jesus. That, that was a Saturday night. That Sunday morning. I went with my sister to church. I was ready to go because I knew what the word said because I read the Bible. 
And I knew that it said that you needed to confess your sins, that you needed to let the church know. You need to let people know that you were saved. So I don't remember what the pastor pre preached about, but what I know is that he gave an altar call. And when he gave that altar call, I went straight up because I wanted to be legitimate. And so I, I gave my life to Christ. You know, and they talked to you to find out if, in fact, you had. And he presented me to the body. And that was where my life with Christ began. It was a bumpy road getting to that place. And it never stopped being bumpy. And it's still bumpy today. Because when you give your, the enemy fights you when you are not saved. You may not recognize what's happening, but he fights you when you're not saved. At two months old, my mother said that I had whooping cough and I almost died. And I've had one issue after another throughout my life. But after I got saved, the Lord began to show me things, show me how to live. Even showed me about tithing. <clears throat> but I read this book by this man named George Mueller. He was an evangelist and he ran an orphan in England. And this man prayed about everything. He never asked anyone for anything. And he had to feed all those children. And he prayed about everything. And I was so impressed with him. So I decided that that's what I was going to do. And I would pray and still do. I pray about everything. I make lists. And I, and I list out what I want. I don't care. Clothes. If you were to see my list, I have a list of what clothes I want, what shoes I want, and then I pray about it. But that's just one of the things that, that happened to me was getting saved. And that's when the Lord gave me Genesis 12, 1. He pulled me away from family and friends who were influencing me that I didn't really recognize how much the influence was there, but from family and friends who influenced me. It was a bad situation that I was in that I wasn't saved, but you know when somebody's doing something wrong who says that they're saved, and I wasn't going to be a part of it. And I declared, unsaved and all, I'll be out by the end of this month. I had nowhere to go. I didn't know where I was going to be. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. But I got an offer to come to Wilmington at the end of that month. And so I had a job. So God provided, but I, I wasn't saved. But he showed me after I got saved that he pulled me out and brought me to Wilmington for him, for my life but for him. And then not long after that, he began to 
speak to me through other people about being a judge. And the one story, which I wish Addie was here to help me tell it, but um, we were going to the bread store one day, and we parked in the parking lot of the store, and she was looking up in a tree, and she said, you're going to be a judge. And I said, you've lost your mind. <laughs> and, and she said, but I see your picture. There's a poster, and it's hanging in the tree. And I said, that's not going to happen. Um, and the reason that I felt like nothing like that would ever happen, because first of all, I never even thought that I'd be a lawyer. I had no intentions of being a lawyer. I was going to be a teacher. That's what I wanted to be. Um, but I ended up, after, the, after going to college, I was tired and I needed a break. So I went to work at UNC hospitals, and I worked doing the financial counseling for patients. And the doctors that I worked with encouraged me to go to law school because they considered that I was so effective at fighting the insurance companies to pay the patients' bills. <laughs> and I, I must say, I, I was pretty good at it. <laughs> and, and so, and, and they would give me the time off to go and study and everything. So I did. I applied to law school. I went to law school. But even while I was in law school, I thought I would get my law degree, go back and help around a hospital because I love the medical field. Well, after I got out of law school, I ended up being a trial attorney. I am an introvert. I don't do those things, you know? <laughs> um, but all I ever did was a trial attorney. And so I had to learn how to speak in front of people. So what I'd do is I'd stand in front of a full-length mirror, and I would give my argument to myself in the mirror. And, and that way, i know how I looked, and i know how I could convince. So that's, that's what I did. And I ended up just remaining a trial attorney and ended up coming to Wilmington to become a prosecutor in the district attorney's office. And I was a prosecutor for nearly 10 years in the DA's office and mainly prosecuted violent crimes. None of that mixes with the person that I think that I am, with the personality that I think that I am. I would not choose that for me. I know God chose that for me. And becoming a judge, I didn't choose it for me. It's not, it's not what I would have ever done for myself. But when an opportunity came up for me to run for a position as a judge, Thank you very much. Thank you. But a circumstance came up the first time where I could not get my name on the ballot, printed on the ballot. I was asked if I would consider a 
a write-in campaign. I said I'd pray about it. And I happened to, I talked to all my close friends about it. Everybody seemed to think it was great. I didn't think it was that great. <laughs> and a, and the, um, a friend of mine was a pastor at a church. I went to her church that Sunday. And I remember we were standing in the lobby, and there were other people in the lobby, and she said, you all, you all look, because the Lord is going to take her name and put it in the wind. And when she said that, I knew that this was something that the Lord was telling me that I needed to do. And so I did it. I ran a writing campaign. And the night, well, I went through that whole tormenting experience because it was terrible. Um, and the night that, the election night, I was driving home to change clothes and to go and, and watch the elections. It was, it was almost like I came back to myself. And when I came back to myself, I said, I cannot believe that I just ran a write-in campaign. It was like God took me and put me all the way up here, and I had my little bell, and I was just ringing, and you know, vote for me, you know? You know, and I'm thinking people, you know, when I, was, when I came back to myself, I was like, I know people think, is she crazy? It makes no sense, you know? <laughs> and so that's what I was doing. And, uh, but the amazing thing about it, I didn't win. But the amazing thing about it was I got more than 22,000 write-in votes, which was something that had not been done in the state of North Carolina at that time. So... That meant that Raleigh was watching me. I didn't know they were, but that's what that meant. And as a result of that, I was appointed to a position. That just blew my mind, but I knew it was God. You can't give credit to anyone else when things like that happen, but I knew that I was doing what I was doing because he wanted me to do it. And I did it. It was hard, but I was doing it because he told me to do it. But he rewarded me for doing it by placing me in the position. But it wasn't placing me in the position for me. He was placing me in the position for him. Because he, he promised me because I'm single, never been married, no children. But he had promised me that I didn't have to worry about anything, that he would always take care of me. And he has never let me down. 
because there's nothing that I lack or want for because he has blessed me with that. So I did that position. And I had a lot of dreams while I was running. And one of the dreams that I had was I was in bed. I woke up, sunny day, looked out the bedroom window, and there was a two by four laying in my backyard. It stood up, and when I went to look closer at it, it shot to the front of the house. So I ran to try to catch it. I stepped out of my bedroom into a room that was not in my house. I stepped into the dining room of the house I grew up in. And when I stepped into that room, I could feel the presence of the enemy. And it was so forceful that I thought it was going to knock me down. And in the corner, all of a sudden, it started, the walls started opening up. And when it opened up in a circle, there was a book laying open. And I knew it was the Bible. And then all of a sudden, blood came running down and covered the Bible. And that force became so much stronger until it was about to knock me down. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, shoots past me and goes to that corner and turns around and comes back and I catch it. It's one of those Tupperware rolling bins where you can unscrew the out one side, pour hot water in. Well, my mother was a Tupperware person, and she would sell Tupperware and all of that. And that rolling pin was her rolling pin. And I caught it. I mean, it came. It just came to me, stopped, and I caught it. And I gripped it both ends, and I took a stand, and I stood against that evil force, so much so till the rolling pin was collapsing. But I never stopped standing. And I woke up, I was completely exhausted. I knew I was in a spiritual warfare. Then after that, I took this position. I was up for the next election, which by that time, the Lord had sent me to Global River Church. He sent me from church down the road, Myrtle Road, Firstborn Holiness Church, and he sent me here. And I had to run a campaign with little to no money. But the Lord showed us that it doesn't take money. When he does it, it doesn't take hardly anything at all. And of course, I was stressed out. I was just stressed. And one night, I was sleeping. 
and all I could hear in my sleep was the word waters. And it kept over and over and over again, it kept saying waters. And I woke up and I said, waters, what is that? And I grabbed my concordance and my Bible, which were right there on the bedstand. And I looked up waters. And I looked up Isaiah 43:2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. So the Lord was telling me, I got you. It might be hard, but I got you. And so that helped me for just a little bit. You know, you get it, and you go for it for a little while, and then, you know, <laughs> and you're, oh, God, oh, God. So then he gave me a dream. I used to live down near Halliburton Park, and I, would, I had a habit of coming home from work and then going to walk down to the park and then walk back home. It's like a one-mile trail. Well, in this dream, that's what I was doing. I walked down to the park, did a one-mile trail, and I was coming back. I crossed over 17th Street, and when I did that, it like almost immediately started getting dark. So I kept walking to the next intersection. Well, by the time I got there, it was getting darker. Then all of a sudden, there was a crowd of people all around me, and they were telling me, don't cross the street. Don't cross the street. If you cross the street, that tornado is going to come, and it's going to get you. And my response was, I'm crossing the street. And I crossed the street, and when I crossed the street, the tornado came down the middle of that street and went right into the woods. And I looked, and I saw and it went into the woods, and the people were gone. Then it was completely dark. And I could not see how to get home. I looked down at my feet. There was a light about this big, very dull, at my feet. And when I walked, that light would move. And I followed that light. And I followed that light, and I could see in the distance the, the turn off to my house. And then I saw this couple on the side of the, on the curb, sitting, had given up. And I kept walking. And by the time I got close to the street, I woke up. And that was the Lord telling me, it's going to be all right. You got this. I'm, I'm pushing you through it all. Don't, don't wear yourself out. And I was like, yeah, it's all right, good. That lasted for a minute. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you know, you know, I'm sort of like Gideon, you know, you know, you. <laughs> and so then I, I'm asleep. And I hear Isaiah 14. And again, I hear Isaiah 14, so I wake up. 
and I grab the Bible, and I read Isaiah 14. I'm reading, and I'm thinking, there is absolutely nothing in this that has to do with me. And when I, until I get to the 27th verse, and it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? And what he said to me was, this is my doing. This is not your doing. This is my doing. This is what I have called you to do. And there's not anything that anybody can say or do to change it. And I got peace. I got so much peace until the day of the election. I just said, it's time to go home. So Addie and I both called each other and we're like, we're going home. We went home. I went to bed and I slept. Then I got up and I dressed and I went to the place, the Board of Elections, and I won. You know? <laughs> but it was not of my doing. It was the Lord. I was just being obedient to do what He told me to do. And then only within a little while after that, did I get a messenger to me? No, I was asked about this position that I'm in now. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. I don't want to do it. And so I just I finally said to the Lord, if this is what you want me to do, I can't say no to what you want me to do. So I said, God, if you want me to do this, then I'm going to throw a fleece out to you. And I said, if you want me to do this, then you let Raleigh call me. And that's pretty big. And so a messenger came to me and said, Raleigh wants you to call him. And I called Raleigh, and they wanted me to take the position. So, but that was God's doing. And not long after I did that, the enemy attacked my voice. This is not my voice that I started out with. And, I, and I'm thankful that I can speak today because I nearly lost it many times. Um, I have paralyzed vocal cords. Surgery can't be done. There's nothing that can be done by man to make my voice the way it used to be. And I know that the Lord has anointed my voice. And I know that the enemy is aware of that. So no matter how terrible it gets, I never stop talking. Never. I never stop talking. No matter how much I can feel it irritating people, it irritates me. But I know that God is in control. And I'm going to do what he tells me to do. 
I can only tell you just this little bit because you know what? Our testimony is our life story. It will give us, take us a lifetime to tell our story. But I've told you just this little bit. There's more, there are more testimonies, testimonies of homes, cars. Uh, I even had a Jubilee experience with a debt being wiped out and didn't even believe that Jubilee was for us. I'm just telling you, you know, I, 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 I am a person, I don't believe everything. Prove it, you know, and God proves things to me. And when he proves things to me, I'm like, okay, you know, because I don't, I don't believe everything everybody says, you know, so I will search it out. But he proved himself to me and gave me a jubilee experience. So if you got a debt that is haunting you, you just wait on the Lord. He does miraculous things. If you need something, you ask him. You'll be surprised. I don't just get raises. I work for the state of North Carolina. They don't really just give us raises. But I pray for them, and I pray, and I pray, and then the raise comes. He does great things. He will do, you know, and he says to me all the time, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't consider your position in him before you ask him. You know, he knows who you are. He knows where you stand. Don't consider your position. Consider who he is. Because he says that he will take care of you. He knows what you need. Just ask him. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. He desires great things for all of his children. He wants us to know him in a greater way. He has no doubt about who we are. We may doubt ourselves, but he doesn't doubt who we are. He's a blessed God with a blessed hope. And I am so thankful that he saved my soul. I'm thankful that he is trimming me up every day. You know, I'm thankful that he's doing a work in me, that there's a greater work to do in me. There's a greater work to do in this city, in this county, in this nation, in this world. And he's equipping his people to do this greater work, breaking off those things that don't matter. He's doing it. He said, I kept having a desire to have a simple life. And I just kept, because I love Elizabeth Elliot. I read a lot of Elizabeth Elliot's work. And she always talked about a simple life. And I began to crave a simple life. And you can crave it, but it takes work to get to it. 
because you have to break off things that are not important. You know, a lot of things that we have and do are just not important for the kingdom of God. I'm done. <laughs> Will you pray us out? Because you're, you. already, you're on a roll. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise your holy name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have given us an opportunity to have a testimony. Thank you, Lord, that you are shifting us in a new direction by the wonderful testimonies that have come forth in the last month, Lord. That we know that you've never left us, you've never forsaken us, and that you are a good father who has good gifts for his children. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you, asking you to bless each and every one of us, God, as we travel back and forth, as we travel home. Strengthen us, keep us, encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.